Let's open our Bibles to the book of Proverbs, the 17th chapter. We tried to prepare 17 and 18, and we'll see if we get through with 17, we'll go into it. And if not, we'll just stop where we get through. The 17th chapter, verse 1. Each one, as I've said, of these verses are like little sermons in themselves. So every once in a while you'll run across something that's pretty rich, you want to just stop and look at it a little uh, extra and analyze it a little more. And so we'll try to do that as we come across a very... Uh, important verses or verses that might impress some of us. But verse 1 says, Better is a dry morsel and quietness therewith than in a house full of sacrifices with strife. The word sacrifices means good cheer. If you have all kinds of good cheer, you might have, uh, you know, what some folks call uh, the wine and dining type of thing. Uh, that doesn't mean that you're satisfied. If, there, if there's strife there, it says, better is a dry morsel and quietness therewith. Quietness means love and peace. We're talking about some tranquility, blessed tranquility, you might uh, write concerning that verse. This is blessed tranquility. And verse 2 says, a wise servant shall have rule over a son that causes shame and shall have part of the inheritance among the brethren. Now here you're talking not about a son having an inheritance, but a wise servant having a rule over a son that causes shame and part of the inheritance among the brethren. So a good servant here, sometimes ability is greater than privilege. A person's ability to serve well amounts to more than having just blood kin. And in this case, it would be so. You get the drift of that verse? A wise servant shall have rule over a son that causes shame. The son should have the rule. The son should have the first place. But if he caused shame... Then he, the servant takes the place of the son and, of course, has part of the inheritance among the brethren. In verse 3 it says, The finding pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord trieth the hearts. So there's a, there is a, a finding pot for the gold of trials. Remember that Peter says that the trial of your faith being more much more precious than of gold that perishes. So our... Uh, the Lord tries the hearts. Look at the last part of the verse. Uh, so we find that the trying purifies the hearts just like the finding pot purifies the gold. If you put the gold and all the impurities in there and it goes through the fiery trials, well, nothing will come out but pure gold. And so does, so does uh, that that comes from us when we're put through the fiery trials. The gold of our lives comes out. Remember Peter's example of that? You know, uh, Peter was ready to go with Jesus both to prison and to death. And uh, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have thee that he may sift thee as wheat. But when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. Now look, the devil wanted to have Peter to try him and to test him. That he may sift him as wheat. Now when you sift the wheat, all that goes out... Is the, just the dirt and the impurities, the chaff. Many of you have seen the old combines that go through the field and you have the wheat goes up there in the hopper and all the chaff and everything is blown away and the dirt and the dust and everything disappears. Well, it doesn't disappear immediately. You get it all over you, but it, it's scattered out and it doesn't go in there where the pure wheat is. And that wheat, uh, the grain, the good grain of our lives comes out after we're put through the sifter. And the same way with the gold of our lives when it's tried. The fiery trials. And the fiery trials prove what kind of a person we're made of. Sometimes you say, well, 
Preacher, I just wish I didn't have so many trials. Well, the trials approve your character. The trials uh, will prove where, where you stand and how you stand. And uh, most of us have been through some of those in our lives, and maybe even now. And it will prove what kind of person you really are if you can go through them. Uh, I was thinking about Daniel's situation. His brother Randy read that letter. It shows that uh, he's going through the trials, but it looks like it's coming out pure gold, doesn't it? And so, sometimes you go through things to prove. Now, verse 4 says, A wicked doer giveth heed to false lips, and a liar giveth ear to, naughty, to a naughty tongue. I want you to notice that word, giveth heed. People uh, pay attention to the wrong thing. A wicked doer giveth heed to false lips. They pay too much attention to lies. It says, And a liar giveth ear to a naughty tongue. There are some things that the Christian doesn't need to pay attention to. Don't give it too much thought. Just don't let it have any place in your life whatsoever. Uh, let me read in the First Timothy. First Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Now look, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. That word giving heed means attending to or to be attentive to. You see, when you hear seducing spirits and doctrines of devil, don't pay any attention to them. It says they give heed or pay attention to doctrines of devils. Paying attention to the false teachings. Have you ever heard people say, well, I want to know about all of it, the good and the bad. And I want to know about all these false doctrines and all these cults. I don't want to know about them. You say, well, preacher, that's being narrow-minded. Well, the Bible says that the people that are deceived give heed to it, pay attention to it. And if you pay enough attention to it, there may be enough in it to attract you or enough to deceive you that you'll swallow it. And that's the, that's the danger of giving heed to it. You know, I've got all kinds of books in my library. I've got on every, almost every cult you can think of. But I'll tell you, they're just there for one purpose, and that's a reference once in a while, and that's the only thing. And I don't pay very much attention to them if I just want to find out something about what they believe. And that's it. That, that, that one point. But it, to read it and digest it, you say, well, preacher, you ought to be open to it. Well, no, not after you know what the truth is. Because if you give too much attention to the false, uh, Jesus said... Uh, Paul said, and Jesus taught it, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. What does a little leaven do? It leavens the whole lump. Uh, Jesus said, take heed or beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, or the leaven. And then they later understood that he uh, meant the doctrine of the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees. What did Jesus tell the disciples to do about it? He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Now, if you come up to a fence that has a sign on it, beware of this bulldog, or beware of the dog, does that mean you're just supposed to walk through the gate nonchalantly and just think everything's all right? That means you better wait at the gate, doesn't it? If anything, or get away from it. But when, Jesus said, beware. I wonder if that's as much a warning to us today as, the, as that sign on the, on the gate or on the fence. He says, beware of the doctrine, the teaching of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. So some things we're supposed to stay away from. People say, well, you know, it doesn't hurt to, to know about this and know about that and know about the other and know about these false 
uh, doctrines and false cults. If you know what the Word of God teaches and you're grounded in the fundamentals of the faith, you stay there. And you don't give any opportunity for someone to come along and bring in false doctrine. Jesus said that He's the Good Shepherd and He says a stranger will let His sheep not follow. For they know not the voice of strangers. And when you hear that strange voice... You just say, well, Jesus said I shouldn't follow the strange voice. I'll just follow the Lord. And if we'll learn to do that, that simplifies the way you can take your stand. And uh, some people say, well, preacher, you're just narrow-minded. You just don't uh, want to hear and know all about all these other things. Well, I may be so, but I know where I stand anyway. I know what I believe. I know what Paul taught. I know what the Bible says. I know whom I have believed. I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. If someone comes along and says, you can lose your salvation. I said, no, Paul said that I've committed it to him and he's able to keep it. You know, all of, that's just one example of being grounded in what we're talking about. All right, let's go on with this. It says in verse 4, uh, Proverbs 17:4, wicked doer giveth heed to false lips. He pays attention to it. And it says, and a liar giveth ear. And that's much the same thing. Uh, or giveth heed to a naughty tongue. And the word naughty in the Bible many times doesn't mean just off color. It means wicked. It means a wicked tongue. In verse 5, Whoso mocketh the poor reproacheth his maker. The Lord cares for the poor, doesn't he? He made provision for the poor and the widow and the orphan over in the Old Testament. When the children of Israel would reap their fields, they were to leave the gleanings for the poor and the widows and the orphans because God cares for them. You're not to go back and try to get all the the uh, windfalls and all the extra stuff because someone else might need that. If you have a field of harvest, you harvest the field and leave the rest for whoever might need it and want it. And even the birds have a need to come down and feast on the corners that you miss, don't they? And God provides for them as well in all creatures. And he that is glad at calamity shall not be unpunished. A heartless man, heartlessness here. He that is glad at calamity shall not be unpunished. Or, and the word means held innocent. You're going to be held responsible for that kind of an attitude. Uh, uh, verse 6 says, Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of the children are their fathers. This works two ways, doesn't it? Children's children are a crown of old men. In other words, grandchildren, they're the crown of older people. And then it says, and the glory of the children are their fathers. They look back to their heritage. They look back to to grand, uh, to mother and dad and grandmother and granddad. So it works two ways. You, you may be a grandparent and you say, well, these children, are uh, they just mean so much to me. They're the crown of old men. But then the children look back and say, my granddaddy used to do so and so. And my grandmother taught this. And they look back to their mother and father and their grandparents and their great-grandparents. And that says it should be. Harmony of age and youth. And that's what we need to keep in our families today. The young people respecting the older people. And by the way, the older people respecting their younger people. And then you'll have a mutual understanding and a mutual love and relationship. Some, someone says, well, you know, the Bible says, honor thy father and thy mother. And it does. But what about fathers and mothers honoring sons and daughters? It works that direction too, doesn't it? And we have too many fathers and mothers that make fun of their children or just put them down. And you can't do this and... We didn't do that. Well, it, you're not supposed to do that way. It says, uh, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. And the Bible tells us, lest they be discouraged. And parents can provoke children to anger and discourage them. 
And the thing about uh, this is, sometimes you can so come down on a child that you break their will to do anything. Uh, remember, I used to ride uh, break colts or young horses. Uh, maybe a two-year-old colt one time. I was riding up in the mountain above uh, Bonita Lake on Bear Canyon, and you cross over the top, and it's Little Bear Canyon. And it was way late in the evening, and I went up one canyon. We was camped on Bear Canyon. I went up Little Bear and then crossed over. By the time I come off, I, I'd given the horses out to the guys that were uh, going hunting. And the time I got down that canyon, this little old two-year-old colt, and it wasn't so little, but I mean it was young, just two years old. And uh, coming down through there, well, uh, he was pretty tired and run up against an old log across the the stream there, and he wouldn't go any further. I mean, he just so. I mean, nothing would happen. You couldn't lead him. You couldn't do anything. And, uh, you know, you can ride one so hard, and they get so weak that they, it breaks their constitution. And sometimes you come down too hard on children, you'll break their will to do anything. And that happens in, in life. Now, it doesn't mean you shouldn't discipline children, but it does mean that you should realize that there is a limit to where you should go. And by the way, children, in obedience to their parents, ought to realize there's a limit of what parents can take, too. You see, you know, let me just stop and say this. Your parents are no older as parents than you are as children, because they were not parents until you became their children. So they're learning to be parents while you're learning to be children. They're learning to parent you just as you're learning to respect them. Okay, let's go on to the next verse. It says in verse 7, Excellent speech becometh not a fool, much less do lying lips a prince. Excellent speech, what does it mean? Excess, big talking, it becometh not a fool. It's not very becoming to a man that's it's foolish to try to brag and talk. Is excess of big talking. In verse 8, it says, A gift is as precious stone in the eyes of him that hath it. Whithersoever it turneth, it prospereth. Bribes and bribery. We say money talks. Every man has his price. And sometimes that's supplied by giving gifts. In verse 9, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. When you try to help a brother and not bring out all of his uh, sins and shortcomings, he that covereth a transgression seeketh love. It doesn't mean that uh, you try to uh, have a cover up, it means that you're forgiving and you're not broadcasting something that you may know of that has a, another person's infirmity or another person's fault. And you just don't broadcast it all over. It seeketh love. But he, look, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. Sometimes just don't say anything about it. He that repeateth a matter, and it may lead to separating very close friends just by you gossiping too much. So you might title that verse, Peacemakers or Troublemakers. And then in verse 10 it says, A reproof entereth more into a wise man than a hundred stripes into a fool. The marginal reference says, A reproof oft more a wise man than to strike a fool a hundred times. Actually, a reproof sinks deeper into a wise man than a hundred stripes into a fool. It does him more good. A reproof entereth more into a wise man. It sinks deeper into him to help him, really, than a hundred stripes into a fool. In verse uh, 11, An evil man seeketh only rebellion. Therefore a cruel messenger shall be sent against him. Rebels are but are out for mischief and that only. Verse 12, Let a bear robbed of her whelps meet a man rather than a fool in his folly. Well, that's something. You take those little cubs away from that mother bear, you better look out, right? But it says what? 
rather than a fool in his folly. And then in verse uh, 13, Whoso rewardeth evil for good, evil shall not depart from his house. You reward evil for good and you're going to get enough evil coming back. It, in other words, this is whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you sow evil and discord and, uh, and wickedness and uh, corruption... It's all going to come back home. I'm reminded over in the book of Judges where there's a certain king. Uh, I was trying to think of his name. Adon Bezak, I believe. A-D-O-N-B-E-Z-E-K. I believe that's the way it is. Adon Bezak. And I, anyway, there's a certain king and they took him as, and captured him. And they cut off his great toes. Big toes off his foot. And it says that so many men had that done to them by him. They sat under his table with that same affliction or same uh, maimed condition that they brought about, that he brought about and so he suffered the same thing I think you find it in the first or second chapter of Judges the book of Judges you can look and you'll find that uh, whatever a man sows you say well he got exactly the same thing he was dishing out didn't he and that's what happens look at this it says and uh, it says uh, whoso rewardeth evil for good, evil shall not depart from his house. It's going to come home to haunt him. You say, well, that person treated me so mean. How have you treated other people? If you say, that person treated me with so much respect and they were so nice to me. The Bible says, he that hath friends must show himself what? Friendly. You go around complaining about not having any friends. How do you show yourself to someone? Do you try to be a friend? And it comes around, doesn't it? Okay, let's look at verse uh, 14. It says, The beginning of strife is as when one letteth out water. Therefore, leave off contention before it meddleth with. Sometimes let out more than one can control. In verse 16, He that justifieth the wicked and he that condemneth the just, even they both are abomination to the Lord. Look, justifying the wicked and condemning the just. In other words, injustice. Injustice is an abomination to the Lord. See what it says? Verse 15. To justify the wicked, to condemn the just, are both an abomination to the Lord. So being having injustice in either direction, God hates that. He wants us to be just in our dealing. In other words, what should it be? Justify the just and condemn the wicked. Turn it right around, see? God is, His condemnation is against the wicked. And His justice is for the just. But you see, people do it in the reverse for some reason or other. In verse 16, where is there a price? Where is there a price in the hand of a fool to get wisdom, seeing he hath no heart to it? Wherefore is there a price in the hand of a fool to get wisdom? You can't buy wisdom. Wisdom is not for sale. Have you ever seen folks that just wanted uh, really to have wisdom? And they figure if they can buy it or get it some other way than to study God's Word and Get it the way God has. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. Is understanding. And all the Proverbs are geared on those thoughts. The fear of the Lord and studying God's Word, receiving instruction from God's Word. A summary of the Proverbs could be uh, in those words. And a fella, if a fellow thinks he's going to get it any other way, notice... Wherefore is there a price in the hand of a fool to get wisdom? Seeing he hath no heart to it. He doesn't have a heart to it, but he wants it anyway. You're not going to get wisdom except God's way. You're not going to get understanding or knowledge except God's way. There's a price to pay for it, all right, but the price is studying and 
God's word and putting yourself in the word of God. That's the price you pay. Have you ever seen some preachers that think that they just read a couple of commentaries and that God's just going to shower down a whole bunch of wisdom and knowledge on them? You've got to dig it out, friend. It's like digging out the hid treasures. It says, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ. I believe that's Colossians chapter 4 and verse 3. And you've got to dig that out. And it's just not surface matter. It's like you're digging the deep mine. You're, you're going to have to mine for it. And like the silver and gold, go for it. But that's the way you'll get it. Look, in next verse says, in verse 17, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. When we think of friends, we want these kind of friends. Verse uh, 18, A man void of understanding striketh hands and become a surety in the presence of his friend. Void of understanding. This is liability again. Verse 19, He that loveth transgression, he loveth transgression that loveth strife. If you love strife, you love transgression. And he that exalteth his gate, his place of authority, seeketh destruction. His gate there. You know the... Uh, mayor of the city, it says they sat in the gate. At the, at the gate of the city was where the transactions in the Old Testament took place. Remember it says that Lot down in Sodom, that he sat in the gate. We don't know if he's an elderman or ta- uh, on the town uh, council or city council or what, or maybe even the mayor, but sat in the gate. And here it says, he that, look at this, he that exalted his gate or his place of authority seeketh destruction. We have some fellows that think too much of their position in politics and otherwise, don't we? They think, boy, I'm the grandest thing that ever hit the, the headlines of the newspaper. And when they do, usually they're on their way down anyway. It says in the next verse, he that hath a forward, went one, yeah, let's see, uh, he that hath a forward heart findeth no good. That's verse 20. And he that hath a perverse tongue falleth into mischief. This is a lying tongue. Look at verse 21. He that begetteth a fool doeth it to his sorrow. We're talking about a disappointing son. And it says, And the father of a fool hath no joy. That would be very disappointing to have that kind of children, wouldn't it? Now look at verse 22. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, the best medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. Well, that fits, doesn't it? When you're around someone that has a merry heart, you can go away and you're pretty well up. If you go around someone with a broken spirit, you go away and you say, My, I didn't know this day was so bad or this world was so bad. Everything is sure sour today. It dries the bones. So be, try to be around people that are looking on the positive side of things. Not always defeated. Have you ever gone into a business place and, and seem like everything about the person and everything about the business you know I can't make it and things are bad and I think they're getting worse and the community's gone to the dogs and, and everybody there's nobody comes in. You know why they don't come in? Have you figured that out yet from what I said? Because they don't want to be around that kind of an attitude. You come in and say, listen, we got the, the things going and uh, you know if you don't like this item over here, we got something over here you might like. But with that kind of an attitude, I don't see how they sell anything. Look here. It says the next verse. In verse 23, a wicked man taketh a gift out of the bosom to pervert, to pervert the ways of judgment. What's he talking about? A corrupt judge would receive a bribe or a gift given to him secretly to gain undeserved favor. And we have judges like that. The bribe. You could just put right beside that verse, the bribe. In verse 24, wisdom is before him that hath understanding. But the eyes of a fool are in the ends of the earth. I always love this verse. Wisdom is before him. 
It's close by. It's near at hand. It's straight in front of you. And you can't see it. You ever heard the saying, you can't see the uh, trees for the forest or the forest for the trees or however they want to say it? Some people just do not see what's right before them with any uh, admiration. And it says, Wisdom is before him that hath understanding, but the eyes of the fool are in the ends of the earth. He's looking, far, he's looking beyond what is right before him that's good. He's looking so far away in the ends of the earth that he misses what's right in front of it. Sometimes people do not realize... Have you ever seen folks that are looking for a, a great preacher somewhere and a great church and a great spiritual leader that can just lead them right down the pathway to heaven? And they may not realize that in some little local churches here and there, there's some pastors that are faithful that can lead their flock and guide them that God has put there. To teach them the Word of God. And you know, they don't realize it. They're looking for that big name and that big guy and that big celebrity. There's a lot of folks like that. If you've got the biggest thing in the world going, they can follow it. But you know, God's churches are made up of little flocks and little groups and churches. And it doesn't mean they has to be small in number, but it can be local. I'm talking about local, not a nationwide or worldwide thing. Local congregations, and they can be anywhere from 50 to, to 1,000. But whatever they are, that pastor is there to lead them in that direction. And anyway, it says in the next verse, A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her that bear him, to father and mother. And here the word is sharper than that of sorrow, like you find up in verse 21, He that begetteth the fool doeth it to his sorrow. But here in verse 25, A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her that bear him. And this is a far more reaching word than you find up there of sorrow. Verse 26 says, Also to punish the just is not good, nor to strike princes for equity, innocent bloodshed. And then verse 21, 27, rather, He that hath knowledge spareth his words. He thinks before he speaks. And a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. If you have a marginal reference, by the way, before I give you the marginal reference, you know, this last generation has come up with this thought, cool, be cool, as if they were the only ones that ever thought of that. Notice what this says. A man of understanding is of a cool spirit. See, it was way back there. Solomon knew about, a cool, about coolness way back there. This modern generation didn't come up with that word, though they may have thought it. You know... I get so amused. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. And you'll find someone comes along and think they just found something brand new. I remember one time I found some uh, Bible truth and I thought, boy, no one else has ever seen this. And I went back and I started studying and I found out Spurgeon gave it to someone and found out he got it from someone else and on back and it had been in existence ever since the days of the apostles. And I just didn't know about it. And I thought I'd discovered something ever real brand new, you know, some spiritual insight. We just, we just finally get to know about it. It's always been there, but we just now finally found it out. That's the, that's the secret. I was studying uh, on uh, Wiersbe's uh, commentary on the New Testament. And the very outline I've been giving you folks on the eight miracles of John's Gospel, seven before the cross... I found out he had them just exactly like I had them in there. Just exactly. And then I first got acquainted with them from Dr. Peter Conley, my professor in the seminary. And later on, I read Dr. DeHaan, and he had the same kind of information. 
And so they say, well, who did you copy that from? I didn't copy it from anybody. It's just been existing around and I've gotten the knowledge of it from here and there. And the first thing you know, someday down the line, they'll try to figure out where it really did come from. And I don't think anyone knows. I don't know, even know if some of these professors knew where they got it. Some little old preacher over in the corner nowhere may have given it to one of those professors. But see, it's not documented as to who had any copyright on those uh, seven miracles of John's gospel and the very root meaning of them and what, uh, how I present them to you before. But they've been there. Okay, let's go to this. It says, uh, uh, he that hath, verse 27, he that hath knowledge spareth his words. And a man of understanding is of excellent spirit. He's of a cool spirit. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. Look at that. Why is he counted wise? And he that shutteth his lips is, is esteemed a man of understanding. Even though he's a fool, fool, he's, if he takes this advice, at least he's less a fool than he was before. Because he kept his mouth shut and everyone didn't know about it. You see, they, they might have known it had he opened his mouth, but he was wise enough at least to keep his mouth shut. And so that, there's the answer to that. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, now look, is counted wise. Because they didn't discover he was a fool, because he didn't say anything about it. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. Chapter 18, verse 1. Through desire, a man having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. A man seeking his own desire. And then in verse 2, A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. In other words, he's displaying what he is all the while. Verse 3, When the wicked cometh, and then cometh also contempt, and with ignominy, uh, Reproach. That means a deep personal humiliation and disgrace, or disgraceful or dishonorable conduct. In verse 4, it says, The words the words of a man's mouth are as deep waters, and the wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. Words of wisdom are like that. In verse 5, It is not good to accept the person of the wicked to overthrow the righteous in judgment. Respect of person. Having favorites. Remember, the Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. And really, you, you, neither should you and I be. The rich and the poor, the bond and the free, the uh, red, yellow, black, and white, the boys and girls. We used to have the little children to come up here in front of the pulpit. And we'd have them sing the little uh, choruses. And I used to lead them in the choruses, the little boys and girls. And we sing the song, and all of you know it. We're familiar with it. It says... Uh, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children in the world of the world. And if you and I can get that attitude, you talk about dealing with racism on every hand. If we realize that Jesus died for every color of skin and every person and every uh, social standing of the latter, of the social ladder, whether it's rich or poor, bond or free, then we'll get back to that one level, that one idea of salvation open to all. And there's been too much prejudice in times past. Uh, you remember when we're back to Noah's Ark and there's one entrance in the side thereof and there's only one way they could get in and the little creepy things had to climb up on the ramp and go in and the men stood upright and up, Noah and his three sons and their wives and Noah's wife the eight souls that were saved had to walk in on the same level, and all the birds that flew down, there were the the, um, the dove was in there, and the others 
were in there, the raven, they had to come down. There was only one level of entrance. And the door was in the side thereof. You know the door of salvation is, is in the side thereof. That's where Christ pierced side. They pierced his side. And forthwith there came out blood and water. And the only way of salvation, the only door is Christ, and the only way is through the blood of Christ, and the shed blood of Christ. So, it says uh, here that God doesn't respect persons. Verse 5. Now, verse 6. A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calleth for strokes. A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. By the way, this is just talking oneself into trouble. This is what... The fool does. He talks himself into trouble. Look at this. A fool's lip enter into contention, and his mouth calleth for strokes. He's, he's causing himself trouble. And then it says, A fool's mouth is destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. Both these verses go together. It's bad enough to get in trouble, let alone to just talk yourself into trouble. Verse 8, The words of a talebearer, and this is a whisper, a talebearer and whisper are interchangeable words, are as wounds, and they go down uh, into the innermost parts of the belly. Bits of gossip here and there. Verse 9. He, that, he also that is slothful in his work is a brother to him that is a great waster. You get that? He also that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. If a man works hard for what he's got, he's not going to waste what he's got. But if he's a sluggard, anything he gets... He doesn't care anything about it. Have you ever heard people say, I don't want to part from my hard-earned money? Well, that's, that makes sense. If you've worked hard for it, you're not so quick to throw it away. But the sluggard, the man that doesn't work for it, he doesn't care if he gets a little money. What well, You know, easy come, easy go. Maybe he'll get some more, some accidentally. But he doesn't get it by working for it. But see, the, the, the lessons come through, don't they? Look at the next verse. And our time's about gone. We'll give you this. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. We'll have to close with that, that verse. But let's look, look at it. This is the same security in God. Where's your security? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Now the righteous runneth into it and are safe. Where do you find your safety? In the name of the Lord. In the things of God. And where do you run? For refuge. You run into it and are what? Safe. You have security. The Bible says, Jesus said in John chapter 5 verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, listen, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. That means that you have security. You shall not come into judgment. And so you run into the things of God, run into the name of the Lord, and the doctrines of grace, and you find yourself in safety. We thank you for your patience and your kind attention. We'll stand and be dismissed in prayer.